Well, this morning we, we have the privilege of being able to go back to the first Sunday of the church. What an honor it is to, to reflect on what happened on the birthday of the church. Uh, this, this season of our year for our family is kind of like a birthday season. On January 10th, we had a boy have a birthday. On January 14th, we have a boy with a birthday. On February 7th, we have another boy with a birthday. And, and as we gather together for those birthdays, we, we always drift back to reflecting on the day that they were born and telling that story. Well, that's what we get a chance to do today, is reflect on the day that our heritage, the church, was born And let's learn from that. We're going to see this morning that the church was birthed when the Holy Spirit came upon these men and women. And so maybe before we even start reading this passage, let's just spend a few moments reviewing who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third person of the Trinity. If we were to go back to the first verse of the Bible in Genesis 1.1. You know that one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But do you know the second verse? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. And listen to this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It could be that we would think, Really, the Holy Spirit was only present in Acts chapter 2 and then from that moment forward. But actually, we see the Holy Spirit present from the very beginning involved in creation. We see the Holy Spirit present in the lives of those in the Old Testament, like Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and David in 1 Samuel 16 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord rested on David. But as we look through the Old Testament, some of the prophets foretold about a special day in which the Holy Spirit would come down in His fullness. Let me read to you Isaiah 44.3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessing on your descendants. So here in this passage, the Holy Spirit is going to come down upon this gathering of men and women, and the church is going to be born. Let's read the first four verses here in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's just take a moment to look at verse 1 here. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... Now, what in the world is Pentecost? If you know your words, you know that the word penta refers to what number? Five. Very good. 
Pentecost is five, zero, 50 days after the Passover. And the Pentecost celebrated two different events. The first event was that of the harvest. And so the Pentecost was positioned between the wheat harvest and the barley harvest. This would have been kind of like a modern day Mardi Gras, where there would be a gathering of people from all over the land to come to celebrate the harvest. But there was a second event that is also celebrated during Pentecost, and it was the giving of the law of God to Moses and to his people. And so they remembered when Moses went up on the mountain and received God's word. And they commemorated that by having this festival. This Pentecost would have been later in the year, often around June. And so this would have allowed the weather to be nice and travel to be easy to get there. In fact, this year, Pentecost is May 31st. So as we look in verse 1, we see it at this time, some 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, he was with the disciples 40 of those days. We covered that last week in Acts chapter 1. And then we see the Holy Spirit come. Let's look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the first element that we see here about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is like wind that brings life. If you have a handout, an outline, that is the first blank. The Holy Spirit is like wind that brings life. In fact, the word spirit in the Greek language, pneuma, carries with it a few different meanings. One is the word breath. The other is the word wind. And we see breath and we see wind present in the scriptures where they bring life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, I just read this a moment ago. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. It was just a few weeks ago when our friend Roman preached from Ezekiel chapter 37, the passage about the valley of the dry bones. And do you remember the word of God was spoken and, and breath came over those dry bones? And what happened? Life entered them. In John chapter 3, there's this wonderful passage of which Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. And he says, truly, I truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Jesus referred to the wind, similar as the Spirit, where it blows. And where the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, He will bring life. 
John 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. If you were with us last week, you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that there was a collection of about 120 men and women, and they were gathered together in the upper room praying. These were devoted followers of Jesus. But it was until the Holy Spirit came upon them that they were just gathered together. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Scripture says it was like wind that rushed through the house. You see, the church has access to the Holy Spirit. From this day forward, a special event took place that every assembly of believers would have the opportunity to be connected and filled with the Holy Spirit. Our house is just a few miles from us where we're seated at this morning. It is on a county road. And I don't know exactly when it took place, but several years ago, a wonderful thing happened. The city of Green Bay brought a water system right along that that, that county highway. And as a result, in 1990, when our house was built, you know what they did? They tapped into that water system. And we had full access to all the water supply. And that is a wonderful picture of what takes place when Christians gather together in the church. As a church family, we now have access to the Holy Spirit. We can tap into Him. The second thing that we see here is the Holy Spirit is not only like wind that brings life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is like fire that purifies. Look with me at verse 3 of Acts chapter 2. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that there are times throughout the Bible where God demonstrates himself through a flame, through fire. In Acts chapter, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 3 verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And do you remember in Exodus chapter 13 verse 21 where God appeared to them as a pillar of fire by night? Hebrews 12 verse 29, this, this God is a consuming fire. Now, their fire brings a healthy fear, does it not? One of my morning activities, each time I get up in the morning, this time of year, is I, I, I build a fire in our fireplace to warm up the house. Did that this morning. And it certainly brings warmth and it brings blessings for that. But if we get too close, if we sit too long right next to the fire, it can injure us, it can burn us, and in some cases even kill us. This is the picture that we see of God. He is like a consuming fire. But notice what it says here in verse 3 about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personal. You see it here in verse 3. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now I'm not suggesting that in the Old Testament as God demonstrated Himself as a pillar of fire, that He was not a personal God. 
He certainly is a personal God and was a personal God back then. But what we see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, is that each of them have a personal flame over them. They each have access to the Holy Spirit. Not just Gideon, not just David in the Old Testament, but these 120 people who are up in the, in the upper room, many of them who we don't even know their names nor their identity, all of them now have access to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the church globally connected to the Holy Spirit, but now each individual can be filled with His presence in a special way as we see here in the book of Acts at Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit is like fire. The Holy Spirit is like wind. And then thirdly, we see the Holy Spirit empowers Christians to obey. Look with me at verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with Him. That is, the Holy Spirit had control of their life. They were given over to the power of God. Now, the Bible speaks about when we become a Christians that we then receive the Holy Spirit. We call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then there are times, multiple times, when a Christian is filled with the Spirit throughout his or her Christian life. In fact, we will see that throughout the book of Acts. There are multiple times where we see these Christians being filled with the Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 5 verse 18 commands us, commands Christians that they are to be filled with the Spirit. Let me read that for you in in case you're not familiar with it. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a command for us. You are to be under the control of the Spirit. You are to be under the influence of of the Holy Spirit. It is interesting that Paul in Ephesians 5 contrasts that with someone who is getting drunk with alcohol. Just this week, a few days ago, I had the privilege of taking my favorite 10-year-old boy out on his birthday. And as we were at a convenience store eating some glazed donuts early in the morning, I look over to my left, and at this particular convenience store, there is a cooler with a sign above it that says Beer Cave. Beer Cave. And, and so you go in there and you can buy your alcohol and it is chilled. And as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking of Ephesians 5 verse 18, I couldn't help but see the parallels of getting drunk with beer or wine and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. For a person to get drunk with alcohol, they would have to deliberately make some decisions. One, I'm going to carve time out of my day and I'm going to drive over to that convenience store and I'm going to get into the beer cave. And I'm going to pick up a case or a couple of cases of beer. And then I'm going to walk over to the counter. I'm going to reach into my wallet and either pay cash or a bank card or a credit card and I'm going to invest in this drunkenness. And then I'm going to take these cases of alcohol, put it in my pickup truck or get it in my car and I'm going to drive to a place and And maybe there'll be some music playing over the speakers, likely some honky-tonk country music or something like that. 
And then I'm going to I'm going to gather around people that are going to share in this drunkenness as well. And we are going to deliberately open one can of beer after another and fill our bodies with this until we enter this drunken state. And then that's going to wear off and we're going to have to do it all again next weekend or or tomorrow or whatever. And as sinful and as wasteful as that path is, I think it's actually informative to us on how we are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to be deliberate about this. We are to carve time out of our schedule and our day to do this. And we don't drink Budweiser or or Miller Lite, but we drink of the Scriptures, the Holy Word of God. And we take this in. We invest in this time. We invest in our lifestyle in order to consume these truths that we can hide them in our heart, fix them in our mind, and set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that as we do this, we become under the control, under the influence of the Spirit of God. And we do it again the next day. And we do it again the next day. And we do it again the next day. This is what was taking place there on the first day of the church. As they were now filled with the Spirit. They were empowered. You remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. What were they empowered to do? To be witnesses of this gospel message that they were take to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This filling will occur multiple times in the life of a Christian. And the Spirit of God utilizes the Word of God in a Christian's life. We're going to find here in a moment that the first thing that this, this church does when they're filled with the Spirit is they worship. The second thing that they do is they preach Christ. It's as if you, if you poke someone that is filled with the Spirit, what comes out of them is Scripture. Let me read to you Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But listen to this. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We cannot be filled with the Spirit unless our minds are set on the things of the Spirit that are revealed in the Word of God. On on multiple occasions in, in the ministry that I've been able to serve in, I hear people tell me, I believe the Spirit is leading me to do this. But there is no connection at all to the Word of God. And I think that can be dangerous for us. Because the Spirit uses the Word of God. Listen to what Kent Hughes said. If we are truly feeding on the Scripture, the Spirit will be pleased to use us to communicate His truth. And just as alcohol may have an acquired taste and our body may actually crave its destruction, the same can be true about the Word of God. The more we get it in our lives, the more we will crave this truth and the more we will gravitate towards wanting to have it in our lives. And when it's not there, we will know something is missing and there will be withdrawals. Oh, church family, let us feed on God's Word and let us be empowered by His Spirit. Finally, we'll see in the rest of this passage that the Holy Spirit unites people to worship. You'll notice here that it says that they spoke in other tongues in verse 4. 
These are languages, common languages that everyone knew. These were not prayer languages. These were not mumbling. These were real languages. Look with me at verse 5 down to verse 13. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages the mighty works of God. And we're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, Well, they are filled with new wine. The Holy Spirit unites people to worship. An amazing event takes place on the birth of the church. As the Holy Spirit comes, He enables this 120 people who evidently were somewhere around the gathering of all these massive people that were coming for Mardi Gras or for the Pentecost. And as as they were praising the Lord, they were praising the Lord in languages that these people from all over the known world were assembling the hearing. And they're like, how is it possible that these uneducated Galileans can speak fluent in my language? How is that possible? And what are they saying? You see it there? They are praising the mighty works of God. No wonder they were perplexed. No wonder they were bewildered. And they actually asked, what, what, what does this mean? And some said, they must be drunk. They must be drunk with wine. They may have been drunk, but not of alcohol. They may have been under the influence, but they were under the influence of God. And as we read this, I, I think we can, we can allow our minds to go back to Genesis 11. And it's in Genesis 11 where we have this Tower of Babel where these men get together and they say, hey, let's build a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower. And in their pride, God comes down and crushes that idea and allows them to be confused with a scattering of languages where they can't even communicate with one another. Now, I'm not suggesting that Acts chapter 2 rolls that back entirely, but I am suggesting that at one time there was confusion in Genesis 11. Now there is clarity in Acts 2, and they, all these languages are coming together to magnify God, to worship Him. And so from the very day of which the church was born, it was a church meant to reach the nations. To proclaim the gospel truth, the message about Jesus, to not just this local gathering, but God in His plan assembled it at the festival in which there would be multiple nations assembled so they could hear His name being praised in their own language. Praise the Lord for that. Now, how did the rest of this chapter unfold? If you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, you know that a broken man named Peter gets up who just 50 days prior to this was denying Jesus three times. And he gets up and he proclaims a message from the book of Joel. 
and the book of Acts. And this message is trying to bring sense to what is just taking place, that the Holy Spirit has come, just like Joel predicted some 600 years prior to this. And in this message, it's, it's primarily Scripture. In fact, one pastor said there's 26 verses here. Of the 26 verses, 13 of them are just straight Scripture. 11 of them are an explanation of that Scripture, and two of those are an application of that Scripture. So it is a biblical message, but the message has one heading, one topic, and it is none other than Jesus himself. Let me read to you in verse 22. Peter is saying, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter is pointing to the Old Testament scriptures and he is saying Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who has come to offer forgiveness of your sins. And like any good message, it reaches a conclusion in verse 37 where there's an application. Look with me at verse 37. Now when they heard this sermon, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For that promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit is like wind. The Holy Spirit is like fire. What happens when you put wind and fire together? You have a blazing fire, do you not? What started out on one day with 120 people ended at the end of that day with 3,000 people within the church. And it was all about the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people. Now, I believe there are acts in the book of Acts, that are not repeatable. Okay? And I don't think we ought to feel guilty if, if we don't see 3,000 people converted at, at a, a Packer outreach one day. This was a special outpouring, but it does inform the way that we are to do church. We are to be individually dependent on the Holy Spirit. As a church, we are to be collectively dependent on His filling and His empowering. So as we wrap this message up, this morning. Let me ask you that. How dependent are you on the Holy Spirit? How, how much of this message that we see here at the beginning of the church is lived out in your life? And if you say you're dependent on the Holy Spirit, are you feeding your mind and your heart the Word of God that He can access that and guide you in your life? 
If the Holy Spirit is like wind and if he's like fire, perhaps the word of God is like wood in our life, that we need to have wood there that he can burn and guide and convict and lead us. Are you giving him the wood necessary that that guides you in your life? I hope this is not coming across as works and and trying to to guilt you into reading your Bible. I'm I'm trying to say this is how it works together. The word of God and the spirit of God work together. And then maybe you're on the front end of this. And you're here this morning saying, you're way over my head. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just came to hear about Jesus. Well, He has come to save you from your sins. He has come to die on the cross. That if you would repent, if you would turn from your sins and place your faith in what Jesus has done, you might be a follower of Jesus. Have you done that? Let's pray together. Father, what a, how refreshing it is for me personally, and I hope for the family here, to be able to review this story, to review how the church began. And may we not remove ourselves from this, but be just as dependent on the Holy Spirit as they were here on the first day. May He have freedom to bring conviction of sin. May He have freedom to lead and direct us. May He have the freedom to unify us to make much of Jesus. And then I pray, church family, when's the last time you just asked God to fill you with His Spirit? This deliberate act of saying, fill me, I want to be under your control. Lord, I want, to, I want to feed my life Scripture. Help me to do that. Help me to meditate. Help me to memorize. And then, friend, maybe you're here today and you're not quite sure if you're a believer. You could certainly just ask Him right now forgiveness of your sins. Forgive me for sinning against you. You could say, I I want to turn from my sin and I want to obey you. I want to be a follower of yours. Help me to be born again. Perhaps you've come today with someone that could answer some of your questions or I would be happy to help you with that at the conclusion of the service. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen.